Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and with me today is... Who are you? That's an interesting question. That is an interesting question. Who Who are you? It's Molly Noise. Molly. Hello, Molly. Welcome back to the show. Molly Dot Noise. Molly Dot Noise. Dot is my middle name. Dot is not my middle name, but Dot is my middle name. Yes. But not Dot D-O-T. The punctuation mark. Yeah, the punctuation mark. Very important. Yes. There were arguments with the passport people. (laughs) Yes, I can imagine. Um, So you're not in Ireland right now. No, I'm in... I'm on the other edge of the screen, the you other are. side of the screen. Yeah, you're here. You're in America. I am in my bedroom. Yes, <laughs> the studio. The studio. Yes, the set. Yeah, it's a lovely soundstage here in Los Angeles. <laughs> I um, I I mean, like the shelves are really interesting. I didn't realize you had a Jim Henson studio mock up. Yeah. No. Yeah. I um a while back I purchased um. The complete collection of all of the uh, dark crystal, yeah. you know, puppets. Yeah, no, I, I saw the warehouse. It was lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in interesting poses. Have of you course. been? I mean, is that a side gig? Do you have another Patreon for that? <laughs> yes. I wouldn't have thought there'd be the demand, but Christ, the piles of money. Yeah, there's I mean, a lot. Of it's it. just you've a shovel and everything. <laughs> you know, I mean, getting it to the bank was tricky. You know, we hit that wheelbarrow, yeah. and they were like, "Sorry, miss, your maximal deposit per day is just not high enough," and you're like. Talk to my accountant. I'd rarely deign to touch cash these days. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we're holding hands. What's up with that? It's kind of gay. It is kind of gay. Um, you're my girlfriend. Yep. Wow. I know. Yeah. It's the best. It is the best. So you've been here for a week. A week. Mm-hmm. We're recording this on your last day here. Yeah. Um, Sad face. Yeah. We don't really have a plan. For this podcast episode, we're just sort of going. It's been an interesting time being in a relationship, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my first relationship in a very long time. My first relationship with a transgender person as someone who is out as transgender. Are you sure you want to out me on your podcast? Oh, I'm so sorry. That's fine. I'm sure people won't, won't mind too much. <laughs> it is, after all, hashtag current year. <laughs> Okay. Well, we have to keep it current. Yes. And so, like, if I don't say the year, then no one knows. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, I, um, this is a tangent, uh, which is fitting because you're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my, uh, my videos, I try very hard to either not date things or date things very specifically mm-hmm. and never in the present tense. So when I'm talking about something that happened, I'll say in June of 2019 or et cetera. Because I don't want to say, like, last week this thing happened. Because yeah. that's only going to be true for a week. Yeah. And the video is hopefully going to be up until the end of time. So it's like, when is last week? Last or week is the forever. end of Google. Yeah. Back up your shit, kids. Yeah, seriously. You know, uh, you know the thing about there's two types of people. People who make backups. People who wished they'd made a backup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, everybody create a Patreon now. You've got... Oh, you've got no time whatsoever by the time this episode comes out. Oh, dear. Because of the new Patreon policies. Um, My Patreon is live. Give me money. Yes. (laughs) Give Molly your money. No, it'll be more... It's it's there in place to preempt those policies. Mm -hmm. It'll start having content. I do have one patron. 
Wow. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> oh no, no, it's it's all it's all the music. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. serious videos and the other stuff as well. But it's very much a placeholder at the moment. Yes. Yeah. So give me money later. Give me money now. Fuck it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh dear. Can I swear on this? Fuck no. Shit. Christ. Fuck. Anyway, I'm anyway. not very good at cussing. I'm too too rural. Yeah, I I'm, swear hard I'm, enough to attract the attention of pharmacists. <laughs> You're going to use that for the rest of your life. I intend to. Yeah. I will not explain that. Do not explain that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm too rural, rural, rural for, for to to know y'all you know your fancy European cusses. All all I know is how to how to milk a cow and take a take my dog out back. Because <laughs> he got the rabies. Oh dear! I had to had to shoot my dog. Content warning. Oh yeah, I guess that's fair. Uh, content warning for jokes. Shouldn't make jokes for content warnings. Apologies, folks. I'll slap you in the boob. Please don't. <laughs> so, how's it been? Uh, well, we could we could talk about various HRTs and stuff if you wanted. We could, yeah. But mm-hmm. I'm just going to finish my question first. Yes. Uh, <laughs> sorry. sorry, sorry. I apologize. Uh, how has it been being in a relationship with another trans woman in person for a week? Oh, so we're going to get really real? Yeah, let's get real. So the anticipated reaction of being physiologically... Oh, I'm going to frame this in a really... I'm going to couch this on my usual language. So the anticipation was that physical proximity to a trans person kind of causes a moment of reflection on bodies Mm -hmm. and it's like is there stuff that's going to be huge dysphoria triggers and so far no there'd be moments but mostly no and i've been kind of pleasantly surprised with that i've been physically intimate with one other trans woman who shall not go named um she has had uh, srs but and actually that was kind of more dysphoric and whether that was an initial interaction thing and like seeing her and she's like, she transitioned, she started her transition, excuse me, about six, seven years ago. So seeing her um, made me kind of reflect and go, Christ, I'm not where I would like to be. Um, and I had anticipated potentially that, you know, like you and I are about, about the same uh, same amount of time on HRT. So mm-hmm. consequently, I was like, okay, is reflecting upon your body going to make me think about mine and like some of the stuff I don't like about myself? And no, it hasn't happened. I think it was more comfortable in my own skin, though. Yeah. Um, but that that's like the pure like physical stuff. Like even just being your physical presence is like it's like there's no uh dysphoria kind of inducing stuff there. But I I anticipate that's a possibility. Um but I mean that's my like high minded shit. Mm-hmm. Um just being out and around with you in town and stuff and walking around town and has been really nice. Mm-hmm. And it's been fine. Mm-hmm. It's been good. Mm-hmm. It's been nice. I was a bit like, I don't know, hesitant. To like hold hands and stuff in public. Yeah. Because there's a sense of being yourself and being out and being proud and not giving a shit, but that's still, you still have to navigate yourself through a space. Yes. With all the vagaries and unanticipated things that can occur. Mm-hmm. And that can be anything, you know, that can be so many things from weird looks to naked aggression. And I've gotten a number of weird looks, but I kind of used to them anyway, so yeah. I don't really care. I think you've spotted them more than I have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, how did you say about 
Oh, you're you you dress like a human punch with the middle finger extended. It's a lot of black. Yeah, it's a yeah. lot of black leather jacket. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've I've really enjoyed walking around with you. I always wondered how I would feel about public displays of affection, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I've been completely shameless about them, and frankly enjoyed being in your presence and getting all these weird looks in Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, people like looking at you like you're not respectable and me sort of in my normal get up uh, just sort of like arm in arm a couple of times we'd been just walking and I'll, I'll catch some old person like glaring at us and I would mm-hmm. take your hand and kiss it and mm. loop your arm through mine but there was also that woman in the mm. parking lot so cis women do this thing and trans women pay, pay attention cis women will occasionally glance at trans women and just do this little smile mm-hmm. and usually it's aww and this is just nice. It is just yeah. a thing I have observed. I don't think cis men do it as much because cis men basically kill their facial expressions because they're emotionally deadened by their cultural raising within the Anglosphere anyway. Um, but cis women are much happier kind of showing uh, that kind of like reflexive joy at seeing people just being themselves publicly. Yes. It's like, like, you know, just being in bathrooms and stuff like for me, like you might anticipate like hostility, but generally it's maybe a momentary pause and then a reflection and then a little smile. And then yeah. just that's it, you know, um, which if you only engaged with the way hostile shitheads on the Internet talk about trans people, you'd think if I go into a bathroom, I'm going to be like murdered. And it's often just like, nah. Yeah. yeah. I've said this before on the show where. I think hanging out with other trans people mm-hmm. and being close to get it, just talking to them mm-hmm. h- helps push you along in your transition it does. in a major way. And spending time with you has definitely done that, mm-hmm. done that for me where I, I feel there's like a, a, a give a shit that I'm walking back on in terms of being self-conscious in public. And now I have your denim jacket that you've, Yes. Given me to finally seal the contract vis-a-vis my lesbianism. Yes. And I uh, I have that and it's like, I just, I feel this armor of fuck you. Mm-hmm. I'm here. Yeah. And uh, I still feel like there've been a couple of times where we're in the bathroom at the same time and I look at us in the mirror together and I feel like pretty intense dysphoria for myself. Mm. Um, <laughs> but like... That's, I mean, m- mirrors are always your worst enemy. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I think you're so cute that I have <laughs> a hard time, you know, comparing myself to you. Don't compare yourself to me. We have very different styles. We do. We do. Uh, and that's been an interesting thing, too. Oh, yes. Is The color contrast. Yeah. We, <laughs> the color contrast, for sure. I'm, I'm a big fan of big, bright colors. And colors, you're, patterns. And yeah. I'm just like flat, black. Yes. Sometimes also white. Mm-hmm. Monochromat. Yes. I really enjoy uh, the fact that we do have very different tastes Mm -hmm. in a number of ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have somewhat different tastes in food. Mm -hmm. We have very different tastes in music. Yes. Some overlap. Yeah, some overlap, of course. Mm -hmm. But it's you you always wonder how much of that's going to be a sticking point Mm -hmm. versus, you know, like... Whether we can, I feel like in a lot of cultural depictions of relationships, there's the uh, the, the feeling that you have to get along on everything, or mm-hmm. else that's a source of 
constant argument or you don't agree on anything mm-hmm. you never talk about it oh there was that film we watched and the woman's talking about how they get along a lot of stuff except for politics and you should avoid politics and my counter response to that is no, no no politics is the one thing you should agree on yeah i mean at least broadly for god's sakes yeah i mean it affects it is the fundamental underpinning of so many things it's like politics is I'm going to paraphrase Brecht here. It's rent. It's bread. Yeah. It's the cost of everything. I mean, it's it's the number of hours you work in a day. It's how much ho- it's how much holiday leave you have. How could it not be the core of things? But I think there's, and I'm not dump, dunking on teenagers here, but I think teenage relationships um, where you're still kind of figuring out your tastes and interests, there's probably more of a preeminent need that there's an alignment in terms of tastes in music and fashion. Yes. And then as you get a bit older... Um, because I'm, of course, ancient, old as the stones, oh. darlings. I arrived in Ireland just after the Ice Age. No, <laughs> with the Dedanans. Yeah, um, I think at a certain point you're like, well, you know, you have this huge cultural repository within you. Yeah. All these books and these movies and this, this music. And there might be overlap, there may not be. But, you, you know, we both like sad, weird French movies. Yeah. Directed by Polish directors. Yes. Yeah. Um, and even like music you've introduced me to, what's that band? Uh, Murder by Death. Murder by Death. I had never listened before, really liked them. Yeah, listen, listen, what's your album? Uh, Good Morning Magpie. Good Morning Magpie is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. There's also a book. Yeah, that I wrote. Called, yeah. Called Murder, uh, uh, called Good Morning Magpie. And you should read it. I read it in two days and it made me cry. It's fantastic. But yeah. being open to new things is definitely essential. And also just being able to say, it's not really my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to absolutely agree on everything but yeah politics at its core is kind of fundamentally important and i think the the fundamental basis of any good relationship is and i know it's boring to say but it's true communication being able to talk about stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it happens let's let's talk about stuff let's talk let's about, stuff. Talk about stuff. yeah um, somebody should do a youtube show yeah, about yeah, that yeah. i keep accidentally making that joke but fencing off arenas of discourse from arenas of fencing off certain topics yeah is not useful it's not good no and like you can have a partner who's really into sports or likes to, don't date a gamer actually who's very into certain <laughs> video games but does not describe themselves as a gamer politically or as a mad shit but everything else should be discussed um you, you'll you'll have arguments over things otherwise you'll leave think tiny things will snowball mm-hmm. untouched discussions will fester yeah, the idea of being in a relationship with someone that you think you like can override, I don't know, honesty is a requisite. Yeah. And that's been a foundational thing for me so far is realizing, I mean, there's been a number of times where we've had to like say to each other, you know, that's nah, not my thing. It's mm-hmm, not, mm-hmm. you know, we try things and you say, uh, no, I'm not into that. Yeah. And, uh, or yes, I'm very into that. Yes. And we're, we're, we're vague tweeting <laughs> our, our sexuality here, but that's fine. Um, yeah, we can be less vague. We can be less vague. We can be less. How vague. less vague? Uh, uh, PG 13. Oh, you wouldn't have any reference for what that is. No, no, you? we have something comparable. Okay. Um, I don't want to get into specifics yeah, yeah, yeah. of like things that we've yeah, done, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I just, but enough, like, 
it, just um, being respectful, being willing to to listen to another person and see what kind of feedback they're giving you and ongoing consent, folks. It's very good. Yeah. No, it's I've I've always had a hard time with sex, as I've said in previous episodes. I um I've had a lot of bad experiences and generally speaking I was socialized in such a way that I didn't feel like I was able to talk about it because I felt like I was supposed to already know mm-hmm. everything. Oh yeah. And I think the fact that we're both trans women and mm-hmm. at a similar level and the fact that we're both in our thirties at this yep. point, uh, the, so much of that tension has melted away. There was a bit of it at start at the start. Oh yeah. We, we, we had some fun, rocky hills to, to climb, but that's the thing. That's what's nice is that every time I felt this tension and I often feel like this obligation to like provide or uh, be involved in some level of like pleasure on your part mm-hmm. or my partner's part in a general sense mm-hmm. without necessarily myself enjoying it. Um. Every time I've like shown that hesitation, you just say, yeah, no, that's fine. And that's been kind of revelatory for me. The idea that I have agency in in our relationship. There was two things I want to say. I think trans people especially can find that their engagement with sex radically changes after coming out. Not not talking about HRT, not talking about anything else other than resituating yourself within a framework. So if you up to this point had presumed yourself to be a cis male, there are presumptions that are placed upon you in how you engage in sexuality. And often these are incredibly limiting. Yeah. Um, and so you resituate yourself mentally in relation to other people. So my attraction to men had been confusing as <laughs> fuck um, when I was like in my like early 20s. And yeah. now it's like, oh no, it's just part of... I now situate myself correctly in relation to that person. Like we have different words and different frameworks of understanding relationships between people who ascribe themselves different genders and simply recontextualizing that's really helpful. And like my attraction to women obviously has changed um, because it's no longer, do I want to be in a relationship with her or unspoken question, do I actually just want to be her? Yeah. Which, you know, has informed some of my, what I thought were attractions at one stage and then turned out to be nothing. Um, The other thing was that someone's hesitation or someone's lack of desire in a certain field doesn't mean that like you end, you permanently close a door on that. It can mean that a person has suddenly encountered something they're not immediately comfortable with or they need to come around to, or that they're never going to be interested in that. And you're allowed if if you're in a sexual situation and you move towards a certain thing and that's you're rebuffed, you're allowed to momentarily feel a little disappointed or a yeah. little unhappy with that. You're supposed to have emotional responses to things. You don't have to immediately stampede towards the final point, which is, of course, I'm okay with not doing that, or I'm of course okay with doing that. But give yourself a moment to be maybe a little like, oh, I was kind of in I was kind of interested in doing this particular thing. I'm really being vague here. Yeah, that's fine. But vagueness is good in this. If case. you want, allow yourself a little disappointment and then move on. Allow allow that kind of that byproduct of dissatisfaction to kind of melt away. Because if you rapidly rush towards, you know, feeling correctly about these kind of things, you're really just suppressing a lot of your emotional reactions. And you have to an emotion as a thing 
has to be kind of burned through. Yeah. You end up with this like kind of waste byproduct. This metaphor is dying. No. Um, but yeah, I think you know what I mean. And yeah, I, I, there have been a number of times where I will talk about some sort of like hang up that I have yeah. or um, disparage myself in uh, some director, non-specific way or yeah. very specific way. And you'll point out how that's a flawed perspective and I will immediately say, no, yeah, you're probably right. And I, I keep having to stop myself and say, well, I'm just saying that because what you said makes sense. But I need to take a moment to actually hear that and, mm-hmm. and like compare your advice against why I'm feeling the way that I am. Yeah. Yeah. And actually understand the contrast. Because otherwise, when I just say like, yes, you're right, I agree with you. I'm not really dealing with the problem of my like poor self-valuation you know yeah and you also need time to integrate it. and of course i'm capable of being wrong that that too i tend to assume that everybody who isn't me knows exactly yeah. what they're talking about which is not a healthy way to be i think not the best i mean i suppose i'm just generally very nakedly hostile to you being bad about yourself verbally yeah um and the self-depreciation it has its place within, I suppose, a comedic lexicon, but it seems to be a heavy fixture with a lot of trans people, especially. And it's needless. Mm-hmm. I know where it comes from, yeah. but it's not good. No, it's not. <laughs> That's, there's nothing really more complicated than easy said than that. No. Um, but you shouldn't always be stamping to say, oh, you should never say bad things about yourself. Like if it doesn't come up very often, then it's probably them just making a joke. But yeah. it seems to be more prevalent with us, with girls like us. Yeah. Hey folks, just a quick break here to tell you about a couple of other podcasts on the Lunar Light Network. The first is Comradical, hosted by Haley Rose and Johnny Samivadi. Comradical is an educational podcast that takes a look at socialism and tries to make it accessible and interesting through discussion and anecdotes. One recent episode covers socialism in the American Civil Rights Movement, looking specifically into the misconceptions about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his perspective on socialism and seizing the means of production. The second podcast I want to tell you about is another newcomer to the Lunar Light Network, Mock Footage. Hosted by Ray and Joe, Mock Footage is a movie podcast where it turns out that Ray hasn't quite seen very many movies. Each episode opens with Ray trying to guess the plot of a film and then they watch it and see just quite how well they stack up to the actual thing. Their first episode covers It's a Wonderful Life, which, as we all know, featured Judy Garland singing Happy have yourself a merry little Christmas and uh, many other very correct features of that particular film. Mock Footage goes up every Thursday and Comradical goes up every other Wednesday. And you can find both of those on the LunarLightStudios.com or Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever the heck you get all of the podcasts that you get in your ears for your commute or while you're cleaning or cooking, or throwing knives at one of your captives. <laughs> Don't put that in. Can I ask a question? Please do. Okay, so when we started talking, initially you'd kind of, not flirted sounds too light, you had described yourself at the time as non-binary, 
trans femme, I suppose, would be yeah. a way of, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. And then you kind of said, well, I'm probably just a trans woman, probably just, you know, you'd kind of said that, okay, that label's more accurate. And more recently you're like, no, actually, I think I am non-binary. I think that would be a better descriptor. And my entire thing is like, look, we're just trying to find language to describe what appears, mm-hmm. you know, um, from a, phen- take out your pencils, from a phenomenological perspective. But <laughs> <laughs> that which appears to us. But and this is not a hostile or critical position. This is one of not understanding from an implicit internal perspective. What is it that non-binary means to you in relation to yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm still a little kind of figuring that out. Which is uh, fine, yeah. Yeah, I've struggled quite a bit with being a woman, in quotes. Yeah. Like, am I a woman, you mm-hmm. know? Am I... Do I look like a woman? What does a woman look like? Do I feel like one? Yeah. And part, it it might just be that my, if I am trying to pass, Mm -hmm. my ability to do so is specifically limited by, you know, my, my beard shadow at Mm -hmm. this point and other things, HRT is still early on. Yeah, it's doing its thing. Um, So I self-describe myself as a woman and the world at large still materially sees me not as a woman, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, in essence, subjecting myself to a sort of like disharmony between myself and the rest of the world. Yeah. That is ultimately like if I know for a fact that I, uh, I, I'm not going to be able to be seen as a woman by other people for a long time, if that even, even is my goal. Mm-hmm. I'm walking into a minefield, uh, basically just blind and with no, that this is how I felt about it, where it just, I feel like I'm torturing myself to an extent with that. But also it's deeper in that when I think of womanhood, Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily align with it. And when I think of, Manhood, I definitely don't want Yes, it. yes. I feel in all things basically just like myself. Yeah. And it's it, it comes back to this issue that I've had for a very long time, which is that I don't like labels. Right. I've had longstanding grievances with various acquaintances and friends about political ideology and where one falls on the spectrum mm-hmm. and like people would ask me and so are you are you democrat are you republican and i say well i just sort of believe what i believe mm-hmm. and like are you are you what are you what religion are you i'm like vaguely spiritual i don't know I, i've never liked the specific terms and labels mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they force you to collapse yourself to yes. an extent where the the label is descriptive and it's meant to be a generalization that we use for ease of communication yeah but once more than one person fits within the umbrella of a label mm-hmm. that label starts to become reductive 
it starts to say that like it's not just these are positive attributes that thus contribute to the idea of a label. They also create boundaries that say, well, if you have these negative attributes, they push you outside of that yeah. umbrella. Therefore, you as an individual, if this is something that you feel aligned to, you feel whether consciously or subconsciously a desire to cut away pieces of yourself in order to fit underneath of that umbrella that becomes prescriptive rather than descriptive yeah. at, at a certain point. So I've always had this, like, a keen awareness of that where somebody who describes themselves as um, – I'm trying to think of what terms we had because it feels to me like socialist, communist, democratic socialist sort of thing. These are new to my personal lexicon. Yes. Uh, the time that – I guess like anarchist would be one where people who describe themselves as anarchist have a very specific I, – I guess I tend to think of – this particular kind of person yes. who is needlessly misanthropic <laughs> and deeply idiotic and misinformed. Ow. <laughs> uh, which is not how I think of anarchists generally, but it, well, I guess it is. But it's oh, but it's not what I think of anarchists. Fired. Yeah. This but it's not like it's not a problem with the ideology of, of anarchism. I actually agree with um, certain ideas of anarchy as they are described as opposed to practiced. And I, um, it, it's more that, that anarchism is one of those things that culturally in America, at least very poorly misunderstood. Mm -hmm. we, we, we look at anarchy as no rules, fuck mm -hmm. the, fuck the man and, you know, break glass and, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. You're, you're only acquainted with it via its most broad cultural expressions and that which the bourgeois media have decided to highlight. Yeah. You because know. because they're the most chaotic and like against order. Well, that's the same yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I, but, but not to dwell on this for too long, but the idea of uh, engineered obsolescence within power structures, I find that to be a very good idea in terms of like anarchic uh, uh, governance. I guess the mm -hmm. idea that it's not refuting the fact that we need, you know, a governing body of some kind or some level of like social hierarchy. Not that's not quite the right term, but to some sort of structure mm -hmm. in place in order to help make things sustainable. Someone has to be responsible for the plumbing. Yes, exactly. But the idea that once these structures are in place, they be, they start to crystallize and become like... Yeah, this is what Eisenhower talked about in terms of the military-industrial complex, a system that served itself and sustained itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the I like the idea of making these systems not self-destruct, mm -hmm. but refuting the sort of accumulated power dynamics yeah. that come with like a senator that's been a senator for 700 years. Yeah. And uh, they're on their deathbed and then they like rubber stamp a bill to ban babies from being gay or some shit. I don't know. Rest um, and piss, you plane crashing dick. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I, I, I the point is that I have like an idea of what an anarchist looks like mm -hmm. that, that deeply frustrates me. And so I've, it's like, I'm okay with saying these are, there are ideas mm -hmm. about anarchism that I like, but I don't describe myself as an anarchist, partially mm -hmm. because from a pragmatic perspective, uh, if I say I am an anarchist, 90% of the people that I talk to are going to like, look at me through squinted eyes and be like, so you're like 
a you, bomb throwing black hoodie wearing monster. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> you okay? Yeah. Okay. It's the same sort of thing now where I feel like this is a conversation that goes on in the online left a lot. We've mm-hmm. gone way off into the weeds here. But like you have Marxists and Leninists and Maoists and the various combinations of yeah, those. Yeah. And I have asked you a number of times the f- functional differences between them. And I still don't think that I really understand. And I, I get that there are like very specific things, but it seems to me that a lot of it is no, if you disagree with anything that Mao did, you're a bad person or whatever. And it's like, I mean, that's tankies, right? Uh, the term tanky has a lot of issues. I'm sure. Like, I, 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 it's I, the Stalin ascent in tanks to crush the Hungarian revolution. If I recall correctly, Trotsky kind of supported it. Okay. Even though if you call someone a tanky, you're implicitly saying they are a Stalinist. Okay. Um, and by exclusion, therefore, any uh, like a Trotskyite, is Trotskyite even a useful term, is excluded. But it's supposed to imply a series of positions on the Soviet Union af- after the death of Lenin. But what it's actually used is, is as a kind of throwaway and like vaporous insult against someone you don't like because of the political stances. And I would say that 99.9% of people online who would posit themselves as a Marxist, Lenin, Maoist or like a you know, Bakunalite or something. I don't know. It's just like, do you actually know what that means? How does that materially affect how you organize? Yeah. Like when I was campaigning against, let's see, what was one of the campaigns we did? When we were campaigning against the water charges, no one stopped me and asked my position on Kronstadt or if I agreed with the dissolution of like a given, you know, body within the USSR in like 1960 because those questions are not unimportant but are you having weird, like weird, like half remembered academic argu- arguments that were kind of irrelevant 60 years ago between two dead Russians? Or are you doing real world organizational stuff? And like, you need to, you need to read the theory, but like, oh, you're a Maoist. Cool. So when are you like retreating up to the mountains with guns to lead a like protracted people's war against the landlord class? Yeah. Like that's, what? You know? Yeah. So for me, <sighs> the, the terms are only as useful as they meaningfully describe a position. Yeah. And it seems to me that a lot of those terms are factional to the point of being like one person arguing with another. And I prefer to say, you know, there's there's no human being on earth that is without flaw. And the idea of like holding Marx or Mao or Lenin up on a pedestal and saying they were the paragon of virtue and that all of their ideas are perfect is deeply flawed. It's thoroughly unmaterialist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's like if you find someone defending Marx's for like was it I'm trying to remember the exact conversation but I believe Engels's mother had died yeah and Marx basically wrote in a letter about like I'm sorry like Engels wrote like oh I'm sorry I haven't contacted you while my mother died bad things happened and Marx is like very sorry to hear that send money <laughs> oh jeez like, apparently wasn't a very good husband or father um yeah not a particularly like nice person kind yeah. of shitty to some of his contemporaries what was the thing that you said on the stream the other night uh, politics is not a fandom yes like we don't need statues of Lenin we need Lenin's books yes and to take a very concrete example calculus is still used mm-hmm. it's part of math yes Scott's going to be like well actually but for argument's sake calculus is still used one of the people we can thank for that as Isaac Newton, who I believe was really into alchemy and kind of gigantically racist. Yeah. We we can cancel Newton all we like. Calculus still remains. We can critique Marx the person all we like. Historical materialism, you know, the, the materialist dialectic is still there. Yeah. Like you don't have to, you don't have to like these people. You don't have to agree with everything they did. But is it like, did they make a substantive theoretical contribution? Cool. Keep, keep that. 
Like, um, you'll find, and again, I'm not, I hate, hate talking like this because I'm afraid I'm going to be taken wrong, but if you're a teenager with a big poster of Lenin in your room, well, what does that actually mean? Like, you worship Lenin the man, he's dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, like, you know, Lenin lives, Lenin lived. Um, but it's like, go read one of his books instead, yeah. please. And like, there are people out there who would like concretely describe themselves as like, say, um, a Marxist-Leninist, which by mean by, by that they generally mean a Stalinist. And they would belong to these kind of like old communist parties in Europe or, you know, uh, wherever that would take a, you know, a party line of like, oh, the Soviet Union was great and it was like internal sabotage that ruined it or whatever. It's not particularly important. And those people describe themselves as Marxist-Leninists. They're describing their 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 relation to a theoretical body of work and their approach to party politics. And when a 19-year-old from Iowa online tells themselves as a Marxist-Leninist, they're kind of saying, yeah, this seems about right to me. Yeah. And it's like, go talk to other actual online leftists who've done activism and like have actual difficult conversations with them and just listen and like fucking it, do something in the world. Like... Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no. What That's what I was going to... To bring it all back to what we were talking about, we were talking about gender, my yeah. God. All terms that categorize people, you're just drawing a circle around a bunch of ideas and saying this is its own thing. Yes. And all categories are inclusionary and exclusionary. And how you understand those categories is still context dependent. Yes. If you were from Russia in like the 19... 19- hundreds maybe when someone says anarchist you would be thinking of a particularly liberatory ideology you know Bakunin and Kropotkin and so on and so forth and if you hear the word anarchist and you were born in Seattle 15 years ago you might be thinking of I don't know like the guy from Mr. Robot or something right like how we appraise these things is culturally informed yes and I think that's something worth bearing in mind that your naive appraisal of a of a term is going to be informed by everything you've heard up to now. There's, there's a thing about linguistics. So in America, you say flashlight, mm-hmm. and Arnold would say torch. Mm-hmm. Now, you can't torch a building with a torch anymore. Ah. And flashlights don't flash, for that matter, either. Yeah, We're both using a word to describe a thing, and the word torch is historically rooted in a burning brand, yeah. and a flashlight is close enough to describing a thing. But the cluster of words that link to the word torch are different. Yes. So the manner in which we learn the term and the usage of the term and the things that are historically associated with the term in Hiberno-English point to a historical association and the United States point to a more modern use of the word. And that might sound like a weird off-the-cuff example, but it's like, think about how you learned a term. Think about who told you it. Mm-hmm. If you spend your entire life growing up in a you know bourgeois liberal democracy... Um, you know, and by that I mean like, you know, a, a country where your politics is more or less bought and paid for by the wealthy and they own all the media. Well, who's telling you what terms mean? Yeah. Where are you getting your cultural view of these things? I've heard um, a friend, I won't mention his name. He basically said, oh, well, you know, I don't, I don't really describe myself in any way politically. I just like appraise each idea as it comes to me. I'm like, okay, but how are you doing that? Yes. What framework of analysis do you think you use? Yeah. And this is the, I don't have an accent. I don't have an ideology. I just appraise each idea as it comes to me with the framework that has been handed to me by my entire upbringing in a bourgeois liberal society with a particular Western Anglosphere culture heavily informed by the United States. Yes. Uh, that's a context. Yes. That's how you encounter yeah. ideas. Um, and it can be worth knowing you have one of these approaches, even if you think you don't. Y- you can be naive up to a certain age, and after that you're just being ignorant. Mm-hmm. And you need to think about these things deeply. But can we get back to non-binary shit? Yeah. Because <laughs> otherwise I'm just going to talk about politics. I know. No, it's all it's all relevant okay. for me. Okay. Because 
for me, the the labels of masculine and feminine, they are ultimately, I, I cannot see them anymore as inherent mm-hmm. or real. Mm-hmm. They are arbitrary distinctions, which are a function of a larger economic system that is basically only really good at creating artificial boundaries between different groups of people in order to get them to target each other uh, uh, based on some sort of rivalry, rivalry between men and women, rivalry between white people and people of color, but also to have like goods and services that are directed specifically at them. Yeah. So there there are there are positive and negative aspects of them and I'm being overly simplistic. No, it's fine. You know, I get what you mean. It's I, I just have a hard time it's the same reason why for a long time I was able to say, oh you know, Christianity is fine. Maybe there's some truth to the mysticism. But knowing the roots of Christian mythology as something which is built on much older pagan mythology and the the legacy of all of these much, much, much older belief systems and how it's all arbitrary makes it harder for me to like, because I grew up here in Oklahoma and Mm -hmm. Christianity dominates. And even as somebody who was nominally atheist Mm -hmm. i I felt like i i couldn't just outright dismissed dismissed christianity because so many people that i know bought into it and i didn't want to be rude and i didn't want to you know but i i can't i can't separate that from the historical context and in the same way like masculinity femininity uh they're ideas that don't feel real to me anymore yeah and when I try to be like a woman, mm-hmm. uh, and this could be just my conception of what a woman is that is flawed, I just, I feel like I'm holding myself up to a standard that is impossible to meet. Right. And all I ever do is like look in the mirror and think, this is what makes it impossible for me to be a woman. Mm-hmm. And so I look at the the path to becoming a woman mm-hmm. and it's like, it's a it's a path paved in gold. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah. getting getting laser hair removal, getting, you know, all, all sorts of different like bodily modifications. Mm-hmm. And this is not to say that these are inherently frivolous things mm-hmm. and that, you know, dysphoria is not a real thing that should be treated. Mm-hmm. But for me, as I have pretty much always done, I feel like it is far more fruitful to find a way to accept the way that I am physically right. because I was born this way yeah, and that does not make me any more or less the human being that I am. Yeah. And I shouldn't have to modify my body in order to fit into an arbitrary category, which ultimately only exists for the purposes of economic exploitation essentially that's yeah i mean I, yeah i think this angles in on the origin of private property family and the state kind of goes into some of the creations of the family and he's pulling from an older german work i can't quite remember the title of but i think he mentions it um but it is really this idea of like okay well how did we come about to have the you know the nuclear family like is it a is it a ever-present thing that has always existed and the answer is no of course not mm-hmm. there's i don't know the quote um this is not angles to someone else but the idea that everything i grew up with is just natural and normal yes. and everything in my 20s is cutting edge and everything after like 40 is like a you know blasphemy against god um the idea that these 
unscientific categories mm-hmm. of male and female point to absolute categories of bodies. It's not even remotely true. We're using pre-scientific terms to describe people in the modern era. And we find ourselves almost in on the verge of like we find more people kind of on the verge of realizing this isn't just some like postmodernist linguistic trickery. No. This is realizing that we're categorizing people into two arbitrary camps, which more or less for most people seem to align with bodies, but begin to look more and more like racial skull science. Yes. Absolutely. And the more and again, it's like people are like, well, there's only a very small number of trans people. I'm like, wait. In Ireland, if you wrote with your left hand and you went to a Christian brothers school at one stage, this is before my time, you would be very quickly physically pushed into writing with your right hand. And there was an explosion in left-handed people when that simply became no, no longer a thing. Yeah. And the number of people who are gender non-conforming, or more correctly, cease to force themselves and be forced to confirm to expectations of these pre-scientific gender categories will probably continue to increase. Yeah. And there is a, I think that there are a number of interesting things, like we talk about like trans legalism, mm-hmm. um, that at the moment my options, and I'm not non-binary, I'm a trans woman, um, but my options on my passport and my options on my documents are for an M or for an F. And the M was a mistake, which I've corrected. My passport has F, which is very nice. As do all my other documents, Ireland is decently progressive with the legal shit and garbage with the healthcare, but that's a whole other conversation. But what does a non-binary person put on their passport? You still are forced to choose between these two Absolutely. things. And there have been some countries, I believe Pakistan is adding a third gender marker for, I want to say Haraja, but I could be wrong. Um, and some countries are thinking, I believe Ireland is thinking of putting an X for someone who does not yeah. align with either male or female. But the, it becomes the question, why do we have a gender marker on a passport? Yes. Yeah. Like, is that what necessary? Is yeah. Um, to pull from a very dark period of history, like, actually, I won't go into specifics, but there have been racial markers on documents before, and yeah. that has facilitated genocide. Yes. And I'm not saying that that's directly comparable, but it begs the question... What information is it important to record on a travel document? Yeah. And what meaningful information can you winnow from that travel document? I haven't been fondled by TSA on my visit here, but I've presented pretty femme at the airport and just been like, okay, if anything happens, I'm going to like crack a completely harmless joke and be like, hey, don't worry, everything's fine. Just, yeah. you know, don't be surprised. Um, because it's like, I mean, I know how I appear to people and I know that people are more aware of trans people and I know what my documents say and my biggest fear is being confronted with like why does your passport have the wrong shit on it I'd be like it actually doesn't Yeah, but thank you for asking let's have a nice 15 minute conversation about how genitalia and gender marker don't necessarily have to align the way you were taught naively that they did yeah you said earlier the 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 offhand quote that uh, you know there's there's not very many trans people and that that, that number will increase. I remember a uh, argument I got into a while back that stuck with me for this particular point where we're discussing this exact thing that we're discussing now the mm-hmm. like the the scientific gender idea and mm-hmm. like there's male there's female and then there are outliers and yes. it's like the outliers are irrelevant. Yeah, and I went and looked at the percentage of intersex people mm-hmm. generally in a uh, uh, population like what's the uh, uh, in- instance and whatever yep. and uh, calculated out from the usa's total population it's like 10 million people yeah and 
I told, uh, maybe it's more at three. I can't remember, but it's, but it was, it's a substantial number of people. And yeah. I say like, so this is this many millions of people yeah. who are intersex. And you're saying that their biological state is irrelevant. And he, his response to that was like, well, yeah, it's only 0.3% of the population or whatever. It is irrelevant. And it's like, so you, you every like of course every category is perfect if you r- refute uh, if you pretend that all evidence to the contrary does not exist. Well, well, the thing is they're not considering people as people. These are people who need to get passports, go swimming, go to the gym, take a piss somewhere, have fucking food, get married. Like talk, take talk take, uh, let's talk about something like gay marriage for example. Yeah. Well, let's say you're born intersex. What does that imply in the state's relationship to you? to a letter on your birth certificate about who you can marry. And I I would like to exercise caution here because I think trans people often, in engaging with the pseudo-empiricist reduction approach to a science of bodies and chromosomes and gene expression as being a definitive argument, kind of forget that this is like, like we're talking base and superstructure stuff like Intersex people are not a gotcha for us to like no. latch on to no, for winning an argument. Not. And I believe a number of intersex people have voiced a, a disliking to being used in that fashion. But to push gently back against that, they are a wedge. They are a bulwark <laughs> to point out that biological reductive understanding of human gender is fundamentally flawed. An attempt to collapse everyone into two absolutely separate categories falls apart but that is still that's still going into an argument about physicality yes and we are really talking about the social expression yeah which is gender and people might say oh well sex and gender are different things i'm like jesus christ like go read some judith butler um (laughs) go go talk to a fucking like neuroendocrinologist or something brains are so complicated but i think when people start saying well you can discount this number of people i'm like cool we can just discount the blind then as well yeah because they don't statistically exist no. Everyone's neurotypical. Yeah. Everyone is of a given height range. Everyone is right-handed. Yeah. Everyone has perfect vision. Yeah, nobody has... Allergies. Uh, nobody has allergies. Everybody has all of, all of their limbs. And Everyone their has perfect locomotion. Yes. Yeah. yeah no one's, no yeah. one's bound to a wheelchair. Yes, these crutches. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so on and so forth. And it's that... Like, trans people are not asking for massive changes to the physical structure of society. In most cases, it's legal recognition and access to healthcare. Yeah. I mean... like It's, it's really not that it's difficult. It's not that complicated. No, not at all. In Ireland, it, we're fighting an uphill battle against the current shitty centre-right-wing government to literally just change how HRT is prescribed because of the ridiculous waiting lists. And I've seen people on Twitter being like, oh, I don't want to pay for your boob job. I'm like, well, fun fact, Sandra, I don't want a fucking boob job. Yeah. But if someone wants, you know, gentle reconstructive stuff, like, why are you opposed to that? If you you regard it as, like, non-essential, try imagining your body being unaligned with how you imagine it should be in a very fundamental way. Um... And anyway, sorry, so the change that's being basically put forward is, hey, can we please just align our laws with the WPATH standards? Right. That'd be great, thanks. Yeah. I want to be able to go to my GP as an adult and be like, oh, I need HRT, by the way. If I'm a cis woman with menopause, and I was like, oh, I don't really particularly, you know, I'm not happy with this change. I've already onset menopause. It's like, yeah, here's your HRT. Have a nice fucking day. Yeah. I have to go in and be told, oh, you need to go to a very specialist clinic so you can be talked down to and double check just in case you're not a trans. 
Yeah. And it's like, this is ridiculous and this is, is backward. It's a, the, psychi- the so-called psychiatric model. Um, but anyway, it, it's like, yeah, I just want access to the fucking essential health care. Being trans is the least interesting thing I am or do. It's just... <sighs> it's it's forced to become a big part of our like forward-facing identity because that's the only way to gain recognition. Yep. So yeah, for me non-binaries all of those things <laughs> that's what that's that's the simple definition of non-binary uh no it, it, what it really comes down to is that i don't feel comfortable within the this, established at, paradigm at this point yeah within the established paradigm of a gender taxonomy yeah exactly and i just it's easier for me mm-hmm. to say and i generally speaking like my pronouns right now are she they Mm-hmm. Because I feel closer to feminine than masculine, yeah. And for the sake of uh, social pragmatics, I say, like, yeah, yeah. I am, I am a trans woman. Mm-hmm. I'll use the women's room. I'm, I'm still like working myself up to feeling that like confidence, go, go, confidence enough to go into the women's room <laughs> on, on the reg. But uh, that's not necessarily. It's partially a compromise. It's, mm-hmm. I guess, for myself, I am okay with being pragmatic. Yeah. And understanding that a lot of the people that I'm going to talk to in my day-to-day life, even though I am perfectly okay linguistically with like a, a with they as a pronoun, yeah. a lot of people will struggle with that. Yeah. And I don't want to have a gender 101 conversation every single time I order a fucking coffee. Yeah. And... That's okay. Like, that's my perspective. And I don't think that that's what all non-binary people need to have. And I, my, my, people might say that this, I'm using non-binary in this case is like a stopgap and I'm not really non-binary, yeah. whatever the fuck that means. And yeah, maybe. Maybe. But, yeah. but, but the, but the, like, there might come a day when I've gotten my, cause you know, I, I am taking feminizing hormones and I do want to get laser hair removal. Mm-hmm. Um, there might come a day when I, once I am like passing more regularly, I'll feel like, oh yeah, no, I'm definitely a woman. But that doesn't. But the thing is, you're describing yourself like we're not finished. We don't get finished. We die. Yeah. So we're always in states of yes. being. And so the thing is, a person may for their entire life des- describe themselves as non binary, and that is perfectly acceptable. And it's often like, you know, it's self-definitional because at the moment we don't, we, when we assign gender, we, everywhere assigns gender at birth and everywhere uses a binary. Yeah. So at a certain point, people choose to dis- begin describing themselves more to reflect how they are more accurately as non-binary. And that's perfectly acceptable. So you recognize there that even if, you know, you say, oh, I always felt this way. I'm not discounting that. But you are still describing for what other people is an apparent change, mm-hmm. even though it's more accurately a more correct appraisal of self. Um, and I would say as a kid, like the idea of gender was like non-existent to me. It was only my teenage years where it became like, I, I know dysphoria came on in my like mid teens. Yeah. Up to that point, because gender didn't mean anything to me. Like realistically, it was like categorization of toys and stuff. And I just played with Lego with my sister, you know, and like we built houses and, you know, castles yeah. and shit. But what I'm, what I'm getting at here is that like it, passing through, transitioning through, passing through describing yourself as non-binary is just that you're using language to describe how you currently are. Yeah. And so while that may be a stepping stone for some people because it's it's reflecting the momentary being, that doesn't mean that they're somehow, you know, uh, 
wandering through it or like, you know, stealing non-binary valor. It's that that's what they're currently using to describe themselves. And you're allowed change as you are over time. We we should not take gender too seriously. <laughs> the cis yeah. take gender far too seriously. I, and yeah. we should not be doing it or should be policing it too aggressively. And that's, yeah, that's where I am is that I, I don't, Ultimately, I find the question exhausting and yeah. I, I I land at non-binary because it's just easier mm-hmm. and it's something that helps me not have to worry about it. I just feel more comfortable that way. And and instead of like looking at my clothes and saying, does this make me look more like a woman or a man? I can just say, these clothes make me feel good today. Yeah. And that's functionally what it is. Like, do I want to wear makeup today? No. Nah. Do I want to wear it today? Yeah, sure. That's all that it is. Yeah. Yeah, all, all your clothes make you look cute. Anyway. Oh well, thank you. I I feel like we're we're approaching our time. Okay, I I would say that like it becomes interesting that when you begin to appraise people in a naive sense as a child, and you're instructed upon the language and the ways to understand a person via their genders, you're really only given two options, and you do encounter a large number of people who must be collapsed rapidly into one of those two categories, and you immediately begin to see that we have terms for. We've always had terms for people who are apparently non-gender conforming. Most of these are derogatory. Uh, I think tomboy is usually the least um, derogatory. But even within that, it's like, how interesting an incredibly masculine sounding term to describe a woman. And there's, I would say that people assigned male birth often get very derisive terms if they're gender non-conforming. But what I'm getting at here is that there is already the beginnings of a language in English not from antiquity, but in the, in the modern era, to describe people who were gender non-conforming or apparently transgressed what was the agreed, let's say, socially negotiated, socially fucking mediated yeah. boundaries of gender. Yeah. And the fact that new language is emerging is not that there's some new trend, it is that we are still in human history. Yes. People's approach that these, oh, this is all this new thing the kids are into. It's like, no, history hasn't ended yet. Yeah. Like we're still yeah. We're still we're still developing as a, as a you know as, as a as a like we're not even a unified world culture yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag globalist. Oh, no, no, I I mean to say that uh, like that that people should feel a degree of hostility because a thing has emerged into the popular consciousness more recently is simply a naive thinking that every question has been answered and every matter settled and you really should not do that. Absolutely. Fuck. What were you? I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I was just thought that I had in reaction to something that you just said. I say um, a lot. That's true. <laughs> yeah, as a kid, I always wanted to be a tomboy. Yeah, and that was that's that's something that stuck with me. That I wished that I could be a lesbian, and mm-hmm. I wished that I could be a tomboy. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird how like. As a tomboy, you're a girl dressing more like a boy. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, then you should just be okay, right? You know? And, and it's because it's 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 how you situate with yourself. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's... This entire conversation is so convoluted and bizarre, and mm-hmm. no two people's experiences are identical. Mm-hmm. There just comes to a point where we have to say that, like, most of these terms are not meant to be scientific and they should not be exclusionary in any meaningful sociological sense. They should just be a way for you to conceptualize yourself such that you feel like you have a place in the world. Yeah, but 
I think there's, there's like, I'm sorry, I'm going to get like really fucking, okay. There is a flaw in the way humans think in that we think that a word has a perfect relation to a thing that exists in the world. Yes. And when you ask someone, what can you define cup from a place or chair or light, torch, Right. flashlight you begin right. to realize we are just in ride oh dear you begin to realize that language gestures towards the world it does not absolutely create a perfect corollary towards it coral and whatever yeah. and even then we have words like unicorn which don't point at anything yeah that materially exists and it's worth bearing in mind that that's not to say language has no basis in reality um strict scientific terms do exist but even then you start saying, well, what the fuck is an electron? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we talked, uh, sorry, I'm getting tangentialized here. I was going to say that you actually talked about wanting to be a tomboy. I remember being eight, nine or something. And I, you, sorry for the record, all I wear is Doc Martens. But I remember being eight or nine or something. And I'm sitting in the shoe shop in Dublin that's now most definitely closed on this ugly bench, wondering why silica gel had do not eat written on it. Yeah. Because I was like, well, they're not giving it sugar with shoes. And I had to ask my mom, I was like, it's a desiccant. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. She's like, well, it's desiccated. I'm still not making sense. But anyway, there's a poster on the wall and it says, well, are you going to tell her she can't wear them? And it's a girl dressed as a bridesmaid, clearly like 15 or 16. She's got pigtails. She's wearing a wedding, you know, like a bride, uh, a a bridesmaid's dress and her black docks on. And I was like, oh shit, that's me. (laughs) And it is a very, well, you can tell it's encased in my mind. I believe the chair has like this, you know, kind of like slightly scratchy blue fabric, like, you know, yeah. some sort of acrylic. There's like racks of shoes. It's kind of dim. And there's just this really cute ad for Doc Martens. And it clearly strongly resonated with me. And I've always liked that image of the clash of feminine, like something especially effeminate, like a white dress with a pair of fuck off dirty black docks. Beautiful. And like, that's, that's my gender right there. Yeah. That's, and that's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. My gender is an ad for Doc Martens. Oh, dear. Oh, no. <laughs> well, that's a good surprise endings. This whole thing was just a commercial. Yeah, the entire thing was a commercial. Anyway, uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, where can people... Oh, nice little smooch. Yeah. Get another one. Yeah. Yeah. Get the, get the disgusting mouse sounds in. No, we're not doing that. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Earlier we were te- we were testing the mics and uh, uh oh we were testing the mics and I made a joke about mouth sounds and was doing stuff with spectral imaging and then we started uh, as the as the imperialists would say snogging and uh, that was like hmm good old mouth sounds gotta have the mouth sounds anyway yes. we're not gonna do that because no. we respect you too hot for yeah too, too hot for the radio anyway so mm. where can people find you Molly mm. but once you leave Oklahoma uh, yeah okay oh my exact address well um, <laughs> yeah just like go into Dublin town and try find like a six foot tall trans woman in docks there's not a lot of us there's fucking tons we all wear docks okay no <laughs> um, let's see I'm on Twitter at I am P-U-R-E noise so it's impure noise or I'm pure noise yeah it has a double reading because I'm does. clever. It does. Um, what the hell was that accent? Um, I'm on Twitter. And then I have a Patreon. Is it, is it Molly Noise, I think. Probably. And then I'm on Bandcamp. I think it's mollynoise.bandcamp.com. Yeah. And Sarah has nicely credited me on her videos where I've done the music. So yes. I think there's links on. A lot of them. A lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you're going to be doing YouTube videos soon. 
I'm tempted to begin doing YouTube videos and it's going to be tempted. Tempted. I'm going to start doing YouTube videos. There's going to be things with like delightfully enticing titles like, you know, um, what was the one? Is it superheroes, modernism, postmodernism? Yeah, I think the one I was going to start with is possibly going to be uh, on the subjective, on the seemingly arbitrary nature of modern life. Yes. And I mean, the summary is you don't hate your bank, you hate capitalism, but the long version is longer. Of course. Of course. Yeah. You'll have to tune into the video for that. Yeah. And links to those will be in the description as always. Well, thank you, Molly for coming t- all the way to America just, just to, to be, do a podcast just to do a podcast the 16 um, hour flight was worth it with one stop over of course yeah alright I guess that's it let's let's get some damn food yeah let's get some damn food Thank you for listening to this episode of the Trans Questioning Podcast. If you have questions, thoughts, comments, stories, and you want them potentially read on the podcast, you can send me an email at transquestioningpodcast at gmail.com or send an anonymous message over at curiouscat.me slash transquestioning. You can find me on Twitter at HMSNoFun or for podcast-specific updates, you can follow at TransQPodcast. We are, of course, a proud production of the Lunar Light Network, and you can support us in helping create independent media over at patreon.com slash lunarlighthq and of course you can find comradical mock footage trans questioning and a bunch of other podcasts over at lunarlightstudio.com links to everything are in the description thank you as always for listening and i'll see you again sometime in the future Ooh, why am i doing a ghost voice jeez Light Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay.